Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. We hope you took some time to listen to our previous episode when we re-released our biography about Johannes Brahms. We thought since it's been such a long time since we've visited this prolific and popular composer, why not take a look at another one of his famous works? So this week we are doing just that. We'll be taking a look at his much-loved Hungarian dance number five. We'll be honing in on the time period right around the composition of this work, so for that more full backstory on Brahms, be sure to go back and check out his more complete bio in our previous episode. Now let's get into it. First, of course, the Brahms Cliff Notes. He was born in Hamburg, Germany in 1833, spent most of his life, aside from some international travels, either in Germany or Austria. He first encountered Hungarian folk music in Germany itself. As a young adult, Brahms started his musical career playing in pubs and bars, humble beginnings for such a well-respected composer. And it was in this setting that Brahms met a Hungarian violinist, Eduard Remenyi. Brahms actually played an accompaniment for Remenyi during a performance of Hungarian-style tunes. And a few years later, Brahms actually went on tour with Remenyi, and through the long hours spent traveling together, and of course the musical performances, Remenyi taught Brahms the traditional melodies. Now let's get into what we mean by this quote, Hungarian music. This is actually a bit of a misnomer, as much of what is thought of as Hungarian folk music is actually Romani or Gypsy music. It just so happens that much of this ethnic group at the time lived in Hungary, and thus the style came to be associated with that nation. Now, much like the rest of Europe who heard this lively dance music, Brahms fell in love with the rhythmic energy and flashy phrases. He further expanded his knowledge of the genre when he befriended another famous Hungarian violinist, Joseph Joachim. Joachim taught Brahms many of the folk melodies that would later make their way into his iconic works. And as a happy coincidence, Joachim had actually been Remenier's teacher in the past as well. Yes, that's right. Brahms' Hungarian dances are not melodies he came up with on his own. They're more like fantasies on Hungarian themes. However, of the 21 Hungarian dances, Brahms actually did try his hand at original melodies for dances number 11, 14, and 16. As you can tell by the title of this episode, we're going to be focusing on just Hungarian dance number 5, which is perhaps the most well-known of the dances. This dance was published in 1869 as part of a set of dances 1 through 10. Originally, all these dances were written just for piano duet, specifically one piano four hands duet, meaning that the performers both sit at the same piano rather than at two separate pianos. Perhaps more often, this dance is heard in the orchestrated version, which perhaps surprisingly did not come from the mind of Brahms. Brahms actually only orchestrated number one, three, and ten himself. His prodigious junior Dvorak orchestrated numbers 17 to 21, but that still left a lot of dances. 
Number five is most commonly performed from the Albert Parlov orchestration. Parlov was an acquaintance of Brahms who worked as a German naval musician. He actually managed all of the music corps in Prussia. Brahms allowed him to orchestrate dances 5, 6, 11, and 16. And though Parlov wrote a few military marches, he is widely unknown today. As we mentioned, Brahms took his inspiration for his Hungarian dances from folk tunes. Now what could go wrong with that? Well, after publishing his first set of dances, he soon came to find out he may have plagiarized someone else's work. What a scandal! As it turns out, the melody used in dance number five was not a folk song, but rather an original work by a Hungarian composer, Bela Kalar. Brahms, already a well-known and respected composer, could not let this ruin his career. He apparently replied to the accusations from the lesser-known composer with the quote that, quote, no greater compliment could be paid to a composer than to find his melodies being sung in remote country villages by peasants. Essentially, Brahms was defending himself by saying he had heard the melody while out on tour and mistook it for just another folk song. Apparently, this was enough to pacify Kaler, as dance number five is still around. Now, let's get into the music. This piece is in our familiar ABA form. The A section is in G minor. Now note the original keyboard version was actually in F sharp minor. This starts with a familiar melody that is the first theme. And then Brahms introduces a second theme. The B section transitions into G major. Convenient that our tonic note will stay the same throughout. And here's the short first theme. And then of course, the second theme. and we round it all out with a reprise of the A section. Something that may immediately stick out to you is the offbeats and syncopation in the accompaniment to the melodies. Right from the beginning, you hear the lower voices of the orchestra with a somewhat pulsating offbeat rhythm. And as the phrase wraps up, you hear the upper woodwinds playing a downward scale full of offbeats. While offbeats are all well and good, the melody here is actually pretty straight and to the point, with downbeats being emphasized. And if you listen very carefully, you can hear the lonely bassoons actually playing downbeat eighth notes the whole time, under the rest of the low voice offbeats. This voicing is actually quite ingenious. Both the melody and the accompaniment can be heard because no voice really ends up playing over the other. In contrast to the straight beginning of the melody, Brahms does add in some syncopation near the end of the phrase in the violin line. They are playing a constant 16th note run in groups of little upward scales. 
However, the scales are in groups of three, and 16th notes in this 2-4 time signature are in groups of four. So that means the quote turnaround, and therefore the beat emphasis, is skewed away from the downbeat. The B section then seems to fully embrace the straight downbeats. The whole melody is just running eighth notes. A tricky Brahms and his offbeats, he still manages to sneak them in. In this case, it's in the accompaniment. Even though there are running eighth notes as well, the offbeats are written with accents, meaning to emphasize or put more weight on these notes. In the third measure of this theme, there are written tied eighth notes that remain on the same pitch with a crescendo. This is an interesting notation. Why not just write a quarter note? It's again to create emphasis on the upbeat. The musician will end up putting more of a puff of wind or bow pressure on the string on the upbeat, thus creating the syncopated effect, even though it is a held note. And we hear this in an even more extreme case in the second theme. Brahms has written every two measures to have a ritardando, meaning that the tempo is already slower and heavier, and this gives the musicians more time to emphasize the difference in weight between the downbeat and the upbeat. There is perhaps a critique for the orchestration of the dances. Through no fault of any orchestrator, these lively folk melodies could be interpreted as sounding a bit too sterile. In a traditional folk performance, one can imagine glissandos, ornamentation, perhaps some questionable intonation, etc. Things that make it sound rustic and unique. But by the time we get into these actual orchestrations, a lot of that is lost. Now remember, this melody has been processed through the mind of the classically trained Brahms onto the piano keyboard and then again processed into an orchestra setting, so we are far from the original source material. Now there are little nods here and there. For example, there is a small gliss written in the violins here, and a quintuplet decoration here. measured and planned. Again, this is nothing against Brahms. He was giving the wider audiences of Europe who were accustomed to the well-crafted professional performances a taste of the Eastern European culture. It was what they would accept, and when the dances were published and to this day, they are crowd favorites. And they are certainly a favorite of mine and hopefully yours, and hopefully the coffee house is a crowd favorite as well. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Coffee House. If you liked what we do, please do consider sharing us with a like-minded friend, dropping a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. For The Coffee House Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Brahms Hungarian Dance Number no. 5 was performed by the Fulda Symphonic Orchestra, conducted by Simon Schindler. You can find The Coffee House on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. 